Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Kavita Bhattake from Cherry Street Investments. Welcome, Kavita. Thank you so much, Rama. Thanks for having me. Sure, likewise. Thank you. Little bit about Kavita. Kavita, founder of Cherry Street Investments, is an Austin-based real estate investor with over 12 years of real estate investing experience. Prior to real estate, she spent almost 20 years as a technology professional. Kavita brings strong project management, problem-solving, and presentation skills from our technology background to real estate. As an investor, Kavita has successfully acquired, rehabbed, managed, owned, and operated several single-family and multi-family investment properties in the central Texas area. She sponsors real estate syndications in multi-family, built-to-rent, down-home communities, senior living, and land banking investments, land development investments. She prefers strong growth markets like Austin, DFW, San Antonio, Phoenix, and Atlanta. And you like traveling, I think, travel almost 38 countries. Share me that experience. 45. 45? Okay. Okay, share me about that experience. I think... It just started because I enjoy food. I think I'm a foodie. So traveling different countries exposes you to so, so many different kinds of food. And I went, um, well, even before this, but I went to, on a trip to China and I, I was just, I got into photography about that time and I started taking pictures of everything I was eating. And I created an album called The Culinary Journey of uh, China. And China was amazing food-wise, you know, along with other things. But it's just after that, I think it kind of spurred my love of travel because I just enjoy discovering new places. I love outdoors, so hiking and all that. So there's just some countries which are just gorgeous and have to visit. So it started like that now. Except for COVID, I'd say the two years of COVID, 2020, 2021, every year I make it a point to at least travel two or three countries, new countries every year. So I don't usually go back to the same place, except maybe Costa Rica. I've loved that place. But Croatia, Costa Rica, Thailand, yeah, just love travel and continue to travel probably more so now because my daughter is graduating from high school next year. So she's off to college. So I have more time. Good. (laughs) Great, great. So, and also university in different asset classes, coming back to, you know, real estate side. So what what is the reason? I'd say diversification being the primary reason. During COVID, one of the things I saw in my own portfolio, I had invested heavily into multifamily before COVID, right? I also didn't have a whole lot of stock market investments because I moved away from the stock market after discovering, you know, real estate. So in 2008, I lost a bunch of money in the market, like everybody did, right? There was a huge crash. And so after that, I kind of divested from the stock market slowly and surely and moved everything into real real estate. So it started with single family homes, then multifamily. So in 2000. 
20, when uh, the whole COVID stuff happened, I realized that I couldn't bank on just uh, rents from either my houses, my own houses, or multifamily, because we were going through this idea that, hey, tenants might not pay, right? I was scared about that too with my own single family homes. And almost all um, sponsors kind of started withholding distributions. Now, you think about it from a passive income standpoint, if you're relying solely on pass on this investments for passive income, you want to have more diversification than single family and multifamily rentals, right? Yeah. So the one investment I had was an ATM investment um, and that kept paying throughout COVID for me. So that's was my first realization that I want the same for my investors, that I don't want to be in one asset class and that that's prone to be have its own weakness during either downturn or something like COVID, of course, doesn't happen often. But multifamily does do well during recessions, but there's always a case where you feel like, okay, maybe I have to stop distributing. Maybe because your margins are really low, right? Like right now, let's get an example. The interest rates went up so much, no more margins have shrunk. So maybe some sponsors won't be able to do the distributions as planned, especially if they have a bridge loan, right? So that affects your investor. So, but let's say an investor has a diversified portfolio. They pick ATMs, they pick uh, multiple asset classes, some of which have really high margins. They're going to continue to see some amount of cash flow. Maybe some will reduce but some will continue to pay. And I think you want that resiliency in your portfolio. And hence my reason for gradually shifting into other assets besides multifamily. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So before investing into different asset classes, what kind of research you would do? I'd say one, you do want to, I think the biggest, honestly, the biggest outcome determinant is the sponsor you're investing with. You can have a great deal, a great location, all of that stuff. People say location is super important. Real estate absolutely is. But in a syndication, the sponsor is even more important, right? How they handle the project, what their experiences, have they done these kind of projects before? All of those are important questions to ask before you invest into a syndication. Um, location, obviously, is the second most important thing because let's say we invested, we bought a bunch of land around Samsung. Um, you know, in Taylor, Texas. Obviously, that location is stellar. It's only going to go up. But again, you want to invest with a sponsor who's done enough due diligence on that piece of land. Because, for example, when you invest in land, due diligence is really important, right? Upfront due diligence. Because so much can happen in, or go wrong with land that you could have a piece of land in the good location, but not be able to develop it if the land is, you know, if the situation with the land is such that you can't immediately develop it. Like I've had people tell me, oh, I bought land for 20,000 an acre. I'm like, where did you buy it? Near Samsung. I'm like, where near Samsung? And they say, oh, about 15 miles away. I'm like, okay, it's going to be a long time before that develops, you know, although you might think it's 15 miles, but that's a lot of radius there and there's no utilities coming anytime soon. So your price is not going to go up major if you can develop it, right? Like if you hold it, that's banking. Banking, land banking takes a long time for you to realize your capital and returns. 
Whereas what we do is we actually develop it, which means we buy land, we entitle land within 18 months or so. And that increases the value maybe from $3 a foot to $8 a foot. So that is a better play for, in my opinion, with syndications than a, I don't know how long it's going to take to develop. Let me hold it for 10 years. Maybe, you know, if you're doing a personal investment or you're doing a JV, like a joint venture kind of investment, that might work, but you cannot just take investor money for 10 years or 15 years, God knows how long, and just bank on it, right? So I don't see that the land banking really works well, uh, unless you have a very close um, uh, radius to the path of progress, right? It's going to develop pretty quickly or you anticipate so. Okay, Okay, got it. So investing in different asset classes, which one is your favorite? And so which one has less problems, less challenges, which has more more challenges? I'd say all of them come with their own unique challenges. So some of them I'm getting into right now. I'm not doing the operations. So I can't really comment from an operational standpoint. Like right now I have an ATM fund, which I'm not operating. From a cash flow perspective, it's great, right? ATM machines throw off a lot of money. But from an operational perspective, I'm not dealing with the challenges. So I can sit here and tell you, hey, it's great. You know, so I also started doing due diligence on car washes recently. I love the asset. I think it throws off a lot of money. And so right now, my strategy is as we get into the recession, I want I want to do I want to invest more in assets that have bigger profit margins, because even if, let's say, the profit margins shrink as we get into the recession, there's still money in the in the in the game. But if you start with like low profit margins, there's just if it shrinks even slightly, you can't afford to pay the investors. And that's my issue with multifamily right now. I feel like we are we have these thin margins. So there's just no room from there to go. I mean, does it really work long term? Absolutely. You know, there is there's cash flow. There is a equity growth in multifamily and it continues to stay occupied through recession. So from a resiliency standpoint, it's there. But if you seek cash flow, then look at higher margins in a cap or a cash flow. Right. So depending I don't really have a favorite, but I want to say car wash and senior living is probably the for me, the I want to explore both of those because I think they have good potential for the future. Um, Do I like multifamily? Yeah, I mean, hopefully there'll be better um, uh, deals coming along next year. I think there'll be some correction there, uh, more correction there. So I'm I'm hoping to get into more deals next year. Got it, got it, yeah, thank you. So from a capitalizing point of view, what are the most important factors you, you would consider for raising capital? Uh, from a person who's raising or from a person, um, uh, from an investor standpoint? From investor's point of view. So I'd say from an investor standpoint, I think education's the most important. Uh, for me, I've always been education first in my entire, my Cherry Street Investments um, sort of motto is education first, because I feel like if someone is educated, it takes away the fear of investing or at least slightly reduces the fear because they feel like they're making a more educated decision or they're able to understand the pros and cons of the investment better. So for me, I feel like if you are, let's say, on the GP side and trying to raise capital, then educate your investor on what is it that you're doing, right? Keep 
communicating with them on a regular basis, either through emails or webinars or whatever format you choose to, right? Like be in, in front of them more often. And then from an investor standpoint, I feel like the most important thing is how, learn more. Learn more because you'll feel more comfortable as you learn more. And new assets come along. Like I said, you obviously have different due diligence aspects and different assets, but ultimately the overall picture is the same. You're looking at the financials, you're looking at the sponsor, you're looking at the location. Assets don't really change. the. I mean, the actual operations might change, but the financials and the overall picture remains the same from an investor standpoint. Yeah, got it, got it. So there are so much competition in capital raising part or in multifamily or different asset classes. So how exactly you're positioning yourself to attract capital? I'd say it's been a word of mouth thing for me. You know, I have a very loyal investor base and they continue to refer other people to me. So I think uh, just building this um, constant um, education for me is a new big one. Right. I always position myself on education, but more importantly, just connection and transparency that the investors, that's very important for me. When I invest in deals, that's what I'm looking for. Like, hey, tell me when something goes wrong, too. I don't want to hear only when things are right, because I think a lot of us, you see social media is centered around everything going well. But we know deals go go south, right? We know deals don't work sometimes. So for me, like, for example, a couple of properties, you know, I'll be honest with you, we're having webinars because we are in bridge loans and we want to start preserving cash on them, right? Because we have to be prepared for whatever comes in the next year. So my goal is we have to have an education, we have to have an investor webinar and talk about our plan with the property. Because let's say this investor with these investors with us went and bought their own properties. That's exactly what they would have to do anyway, right? We're not doing something they wouldn't. Our our primary goal is capital preservation, right? And everything else flows from there. So my goal is how can we be transparent with our investors and tell them exactly, hey, here's an open book. Here are the financials. And this is the situation. This is why we have to start preserving our cash because we don't want to do a capital call later, right? So stuff happens, but I think communicating with investors uh, every month or whatever frequency and plus having more communication when things go, when when you anticipate things going wrong, you know, in in for being proactive is very important. So that's those are very important indications of a good sponsor for me. And I want to be that, right? So yep. great, great points again. So uh, based on your observation or your experience in investing other uh, other multifamily, multifamily or any other asset classes, what are the common mistakes when raising capital for, you know, real estate investment? Uh, common mistakes for raising capital, uh, meaning from, like, as from raising capital or yeah. from, you know, raising capital point. Of view. Okay. If I'm raising the capital from investors and I'm looking at, um, not really sure how to answer this question from an investor standpoint, I don't really know what, how to answer the question. I'll try it from the sponsor's standpoint. I'd say for me, especially, I like to raise, I like to have more stake in that in that race rather than less, because it gives me a position of uh, being able to control the deal better when I bring in more capital, 
right? Yeah. So let's look at it this way. Uh, I've had deals when I first started was raising pretty small amounts of money for bigger deals sometimes. Yeah. So I really didn't have a say, but I had money in the deal, which I think for me put me at a little bit of a disadvantage. So now my goal is to go in with more capital into a deal because I want to have, I want to be able to demand what my investors need because now I have I have more control on the deal. That's important to me right now. Yeah. And that said, it's all not always possible for a GP who's starting to raise a lot of capital. I'd say team up with other people, learn from other investors who are also already doing it, right? Like, I think we all tend to go on our solo journeys and try to figure things out the hard way. Like, why not learn with other people and team up with other people? Yeah, got it. Yeah, that's a very, very important point. So would you share any of your best uh, investing experience so far? Uh, I can share the best and the worst. Nah, <laughs> the best um, investing experience. Um, I've had, a, I've actually had good success um, with investing generally uh, overall, because obviously we have been in a great market also the last few years. Yeah. And I think the worst is probably going to come later. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have some we we had some bad ones even during the good times right very few but um um the best one i think we invested into a phoenix property i was also a gp on the deal and um i think we did like 66 percent a year on that property um and we sold it within two years now i always tell sponsors uh, or investors that I can't always, we can't always take credit for it because sometimes it's just the market helping us, right? So, so it's like headwinds, right? That it helps. Um, they, they push us in the right direction. Um, also had one deal, same time period that I invested in as an LP and then everything that could go wrong went wrong with the deal, right? So not no payouts for like three years. Yeah. But still sold it for eleven percent. They the sponsors sold it for eleven percent return a year, which is pretty respectable, all considering. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a bit of both, but overall, I'd say it's been a good experience for me personally as an investor, yeah. and also as a sponsor. We've had some real home runs, like forty six percent, sixty six percent, and then one more property we are selling in Austin. We'll we'll we'll. we'll easily double um, the capital so awesome awesome good so what's your take on let's say next 12 to 18 months what's your take on real estate and multifamily or any other asset classes i think we're going to uh, obviously see some uncertain rough waters um like i always tell people what goes up must come down and this is what, where we are in the cycle, you know, we are getting into the down phase of the cycle. And I don't think that that is a problem. I find that down cycles are opportunities, right? It just depends on whether you're ready to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's one of the things I communicate with my investors is that you can sit out the down cycle or you can get in and start buying the down cycle. The choice is yours yeah. because after that's over, you're going to say, I missed the boat and don't complain later, right? Like that happened in 08, 09. People complain, oh, well, I should have bought, I should have, should have, could have, you know, but you need to take action. Yeah. Do I feel like we are at the bottom of the market? I don't think so yet. I think there's more to go, but 
my goal, my hope, and I think every analyst I've heard kind of aligns with this, is that by 2024, we'll be getting out of whatever this cycle is, right? This recession period. And generally, recessions have lasted, what, 18 months, they say, 12 to 18 months. And that's, we are already technically in recession, right? Two quarters negative GDP. But the job growth is still not slowed down. That's why we're not in a proper recession, right? So do I think this will continue? I think for the next year, yeah, this is what's gonna it's gonna be. But my goal, my hope is that by 2024 we'll be exiting uh, the cycle. And I think the Fed will also give an indication that they don't intend to pull back on the interest rates next year. They want to hold steady. Yeah. Then maybe 2024 they start pulling back a little bit. So. That's kind of what I'm hearing and what I'm gathering from every webinar, webcast, Marcus and Millichap, everywhere that I attend. And um, yeah, it sounds like that's what's that's what's happening. But again, we are in really uncharted waters. This is not like any other recession, right? This is sort of forced after $5 trillion being pumped in. Now they have to pull all that money out of circulation. We are coming out of COVID, which is a black swan event where people haven't traveled, haven't done things for two years. They now have so much money, they want to spend it. <laughs> they want to go travel. They want to catch up on all the things they haven't done. Yeah. So I think we are in a unique position place which we've never seen before so we'll see how we get ourselves out of this one that said i think that if you can get into a cash flowing asset right now yep. and you, you have enough cash flow to tide through you'll be fine you'll be coming out on the other end and unlike markets which are strong markets i mean like austin someone was asking me yesterday one of my investors do you think there's going to be a crash? I'm like, I don't see crashes happening. I see corrections happening. Yep. Corrections are normal in, in a downturn. But crash in 2008 was very different reasons, right? There was this whole subprime crisis. I don't see that replicating itself now. I don't see a 40% downfall in Austin. But, you know, it, and every market is different from another. Like yep. Miami is very different from Austin, right? So there's like micro... Um, you know, um, within the market, the sub-markets, this, different markets are going to be affected a little bit differently depending on how fast they've gone up. They're go- we're going to see different levels of correction. So, yeah, yeah just, be, just keep your money and be ready for some buying opportunities. Yes, yeah, definitely. Other factor is like supply and demand. If supply is low and demand is good, you know, you get the same prices, right? Yeah, and then supply demand hopefully gets a chance to catch up, right? We are seeing that in the construction round. Yeah. Uh, prices are coming down slightly, not to, not a whole lot, but demand is, um, supply is catching up slightly in some products, right? Yeah. So I'm hoping that as the builders ease up and stop building as much as they've been building, they've been on a rampage to build. Yeah. If they pull back on the building, we are going to see supply and demand catch up, yeah. which we haven't had because of COVID, right? Yeah. So I think these are good things. You know, negative things are sometimes good things. You need a reset. So I'm looking forward to 2024. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm 2023 for buying opportunities, 2024 for a little more stability and certainty. So. Yeah, cool. So any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? I'd say I would like to meditate more. Whenever I do, I I, I, I like it. I, I feel good. That's something which has been, 
I'd say on and off, but I try to do it most times than not. The most important one, I think I do a gratitude journal. There's an app called Gratitude and I write something every morning of something I'm grateful for. And I think it's it's a small thing, but it makes a huge difference because your mindset is aligned a little bit differently when you start waking up and sometimes you don't feel grateful for much, you know, and then you're like, oh, what should I write about? You know, I want to find, I have to find something, but you can be grateful for just having a house or roof over your head or, you know, I mean, we, we are all in the top 1% of the population, right? Like we can be grateful for just being there. So I feel like that's been a big help to me in my life, because as you navigate through COVID and all these other things, that's sort of been a constant for me, the gratitude journaling. So that's definitely a workout. Workout is another constant thing for me. I don't think if I don't work out a couple of days, I don't feel like my head is in the right place (laughs) anymore. So it's like this endorphins and everything else. It just makes me feel really good. Uh, so workout and gratitude journaling is probably my top two um, go-tos for reset with everything. Anything that's happening, I need to do those two things. Cool, cool. So share me any one personal learning or any one decision that you took have major impact on your life. Personal learning, um, I'd say self-development, my self-development journey or self-improvement journey. I've always been a little bit of a junkie when it comes to self-development. I've read a lot of books, and but I think the most impactful one for me was attending a Tony Robbins seminar, Unleash the Power Within, the first time. I attended it a few times, but that was probably the most impactful uh, event that I went to where I felt like coming out of it, it was, a, I was a different person. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I attended one virtual one, but maybe mm-hmm. one day I need to attend in person. Real, real one is a real one. It's really cool. Yeah. 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 So any books that impacted your life? Mm, I always say this, The Alchemist. Um, it's uh, a book by Paulo Coelho. He's a Brazilian author, yeah. and uh, I think it was translated into I don't know how many how many languages. But when the first time I read this, I didn't really get much of it out of it. It was like a fable, a person, a guy, a shepherd who travels to you know travels through places and does his thing. Anyway, um, as I read it more than once, I felt like I got so much out of it. I think the most important learning from it is that when you follow what your heart says you'll always be in the right place right you you know you know you have this internal knowing about what is what feels right for you and what feels wrong and i feel like a lot of us get lost in the busyness and the daily noise the noise from all these other places that we forget to listen to our own sense of um, uh, intuition and knowing and um, when you really want something, I think there's a saying there saying, when you really want something, all of the universe conspires to help you get that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I feel like that is when you're really aligned with what you want versus just chasing things because they look good, you know, like shiny objects in Rome. Yeah. So for me, I've become very attuned to what is it that I want? How does it feel? I want to sit with it and feel it, right? If it doesn't feel right, I don't do it. I don't care how much money it makes me, whatever it is. There are deals I walked away from where I sat with myself. I said, this doesn't feel good. Something about this feels wrong. 
Like I walked away from a hotel deal right before COVID, you know, because there were so many things about it that didn't feel right. The money was supposed to be there, but I didn't feel good about it. So I walked away from it and it was the best thing I ever did. So coming back to the book, I think it's very important for people to be aligned with what is it that they want internally, because once you're aligned with it, I think you make more strides in your life. Uh, towards whatever it is that your deepest desires, you know. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Kavita. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for adding a lot of value to the show. Of course. Thank you for having me on, Rama. It was sure. good talking. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Thank you.